0: Welcome to A Day in the Life. This is a production from the Center for Public Leadership and Governance at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hills School of Government. Each episode of A Day in the Life is a short podcast on the trials and tribulations that newly elected local officials face each day during their first year in public office. We'll cover everything from first meeting advice from incumbent officials to quick tips for sidestepping, embarrassing media moments. This podcast will help you successfully navigate the potholes of public office. Elected officials often get questions from constituents who need help. Effective leaders try to be well informed about public services, and nowhere is this more challenging than in programs related to mental health, developmental disabilities, and substance abuse. The language itself is daunting. Understanding the lingo can help you help others. In this episode, school government faculty member Mark Botts talks with Kevin Leonard, executive director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners, about the alphabet soup of programs known as mental health, developmental disabilities, and substance abuse services. They also talk about agency structures and functions, funding sources, and target populations served by these programs. Thanks for taking some time
1: to listen to a, a bit of a deeper dive on an issue that is sometimes viewed as complex, and that's the mental health services in the state of North Carolina. And we're very pleased to have with us on the phone, Professor Mark Botts from the University of North Carolina School of Government, who I, I think it's no stretch to say is probably the, the expert on mental health services in the state of North Carolina the person who is most knowledgeable about these subject matters. Mark, thank you so much for taking time to uh, speak with us today and do this series of conversations about this subject matter. Thanks for being here. You're welcome, Kevin.
2: It's good to be here. Let me explain the terms area authority, LME, and MCO, and then we can get to the standard plans and tailored plans when we start discussing Medicaid.
1: Okay. That sounds great.
2: So there's been some confusion in the last few years about how to refer to this North Carolina's local governmental entity, which can also generically be called a public mental health authority. They've been called area authorities for quite some time. And then with the passage of the 2001 Mental Health Reform Act, which changed their functions, made them get out of the service provider role and develop a contracted network of private providers, we began to call them local management entities. And I can explain that more when we get, get a into a little more detail about the history of the community-based mental health system. But we came to call them LMEs, local management entities, as a result of the 2001 legislation. And then in 2011, the General Assembly And by the way, the local management entities refers to a change in the functions of these entities. And then in 2011, the General Assembly enacted further legislation which further changed the functions of these entities, and we began to to call them MCOs or managed care organizations. So for any county commissioner, I would like to just kind of give a like a bottom line thing about these these three terms, area authority – LME, and MCO, Mm -hmm. they all refer to the same agency, the
1: same entity. I think that's really important to point out because people like myself are like, well, what's that agency? What they're talking about. Can you repeat that? Yeah.
2: So the term area authority or area MHDDSA authority and the term local management entity or LME and the term managed care organization or MCO all refer to the same agency, which is a, lo- a public entity, a local governmental entity that's responsible for community-based MHDD and SA services. So it's just simply not the case that those are different things. No, those terms have different meanings in certain contexts, and we can tease that out. But the, the, but the important thing to understand is these are public entities, not private entities, and... Basically, what the General Assembly has done, and, and what people in the field have done, is they've layered one term on top of another, as the characteristics of the agency have evolved over time. There's still area authorities, and and you could say that the term area authority in statute refers to how they're established, how they're organized and structured, and you could say the term LME or local management entity refers to its functions. And you can also say the term MCO, managed care organization, refers to a further evolution or development in the functions of the agency. By the way, I will say that I say they're public entities, not private entities. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? I think it's probably helpful for county commissioners and other county government employees to understand that an area authority – is subject to many of the same local government laws that cities and counties are subject to. They're subject to the Open Meetings Law, the Public Records Law, the Local Government Budget and Fiscal Control Act, and various conflicts of interest laws. So they are a fully public entity, and their job is to provide community-based services through a contracted pr- provider network to the citizens of the counties within their region or the counties they serve so it's also important for people to realize that these area mental health authorities otherwise known as lme's and mcos um, they operate in accordance with state policy that's set by the general assembly and carried out by the department of health and human services through its division of mhddsa services and the state makes policy and the state legislature appropriates funding for these community-based services. The executive branch of the Department of Health and Human Services allocates that money, also makes some state policy, and is responsible for monitoring and overseeing the community-based uh, mental health agencies known as Area Mental Health Authorities or lme So they operate, they can't raise revenue, they can't levy taxes. They are dependent on the revenue provided by state and federal government, and that's appropriated through state government. And they operate under the direction, constraints, and oversight of state law and state policy. The basic st- structure, you know, organization and structure of area authorities was established in 1977 uh, when the General Assembly enacted legislation that required all counties to establish singly or jointly what were called, quote, area mental health authorities, end quote. Now, when I came to work here at the School of Government in the early 90s, there were 42 area authorities. Now there are seven. When I came here in the early 90s, about 6% of the revenue that area authorities received to pay for services came from Medicaid, 6%. And over 80% of their revenue was uh, state appropriations from the state general fund. Now that's almost reversed. Now Medicaid makes up 80, 85% of their total revenue as a, in terms of the percentage of total. And state appropriations make up a, a, a relative, in comparison a small amount. So what that means is that Medicaid policy drives state and local government policy when it comes to MHDDSA services. Kevin, I could say a little more about how we got from 1977 until now.
1: Well, I was just going to ask to jump into that because you – at some point, I'd like to talk about the numbers on – you just referenced percentages uh, as it relates to – funding, and maybe later on we can talk about what that translates, because it's a big number. But from what I heard you say, it's like, so since 1977, when LMEs and MCOs were created, nothing has changed except for the number you you indicated that, but the law is still the same as, it sounds like a lot happened between then and and now. The law has been amended several times and many things have been changed,
2: but That's this basic notion of a public entity called an area mental health authority that's responsible for community-based mental health services still exists. And it is still the case that – I mean remember I said in 1977 the General Assembly enacted legislation requiring all counties to establish an area mental health authority, either singly or jointly. So back then there were some single-county area authorities – there were some two- and three-county area authorities. When I came here, there were 42 area authorities, and now there's seven. Now many things have changed, but the county's role in establishing and appropriating money to them has not changed. Now I can walk through and talk a little bit about some of the changes, why we have s- fewer and larger ones now and what the role of medicaid
1: is yeah i think that would be helpful for people to understand how you how we went from 42 to 7 and that really did that start around the 2000 time frame uh, with big reform in 2001 and lead us through to where yes. we are today
2: yeah so in the 90s you know you're Almost For almost a decade, while I was working in the School of Government, these area authorities employed their own clinicians, their own clinical staff, to provide services to citizens in their catchment area, the geographic area they served, which could be two or three counties in size. And they were doing this with money uh, appropriated, largely with money appropriated from the state general fund. And so, for example, in the mid-90s, there were 41 area authorities, 50% of their revenue was from state appropriations, 8% of the revenue was from Medicaid, and 14% of their revenue was from County General Fund Appropriations. Then in 2001, that was one of the big sea changes, and the General Assembly enacted an act that was called, or an act to phase in mental health system reform, and it's interesting it's called an act to phase in mental health system reform because it feels like we've been going through various phases of reform since then. Uh and but the big that law did a number of things and uh but some of the big things it did was to it said, area authorities, you have to get out of the business of providing clinical services. You can no longer employ clinical staff that meet face to face with people with uh, mental illnesses, intellectual developmental disabilities, and uh, substance use disorders. So you have So that they privatized service provision. They required area authorities to build, develop a network of contracted service providers. And, and and use state money to uh, pay for those services provided by contracted providers of services. Now, those contracted providers of services could be public or private. Most of them ended up being private. And actually, what happened is many of the clinic, many of the clinical staff members of these area authorities, when this 2001 law was enacted, left area authorities to go establish the various agencies or organizations that became the contracted providers, because that's where the clinical expertise was. I mean, and, uh, you know, a licensed clinical social worker still wanted to be a licensed clinical social worker, and they can no longer be employed with the area authority, so they went out and created an agency that could continue to provide services to citizens, but only with public funds managed and authorized
1: by the area uh, by, authority, and, and then the, they were then contracting with the provider. And in this case, as you just described, the provider just the year before had worked at the clinic, at the area authority in their clinic, and now they, the the uh, the statute of 2001, was basically as you said, privatizing or the provider system, and then we're area authority LME. MCO is managing the exchange of the contracts and the funds. Is that
2: right? Right. And, and it might sound like, well, what is the uh, – and this is when the term LME or local management entity came into being because now they were a manager of services, their authority that is, instead of, a, instead of a provider of services. Well, you, you might ask, well, what does it mean to manage services? You're just paying for it. It can't be that much. Well, they would have to – they would – qualify the providers in their network. The, the the law required them to create a system for people to access services. It required them to authorize and pay for services and to monitor the quality and effectiveness of services, as well as be responsible for financial management of public funds. So they became came to be called local management entities. Now, there were a few other changes in the law. This is when, around the time that the consumer and family advisory committees were created to give a voice to consumers. And also known as
1: CFAC, right?
2: Correct. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. That came up, started in 2001. And because they were managers of public dollars and services, people said, well, you don't need a manager for each county, you don't need a hundred managers or forty-two or forty-one, and probably around two thousand and one, it was thirty-nine area authorities by that time, and so for to keep administrative costs down, instead of having you know an LME for one or two or three or four counties, it made more sense to have an LME for.
1: More counties than that. So, was there uh, a tipping point, like uh, on the uh, on the time frame, where it's really began to be a rush to consolidate these LMEs, and was there legislation that sort of the expedited that process?
2: Yes, it was. It was pursuant to state legislation. I think uh, I think there were two or three phases. Um, I think at one point it said there had to be a minimum of. Two or 300,000 people in the area authority's catchment area, and catchment area is the geographic ser- area served by the area authority. And then it was gradually raised, and, and, and I think the last iteration was there had to be at least – the catchment area of the LME had to be at least uh, 500,000 in size. So it was – so that – or they would lose their funding. And so, so what LME local management entities did, what these area authorities did, was that they merged and they started to consolidate. Uh, and in fact, the 2001 legislation, when and, and again when that was enacted, there were 39 area authorities. It set a target for 20. Uh, by a date certain. I can't remember exactly when that date was. Again, this is one of the reasons that area authorities became, came to be called local management entities. It was to denote their change in functions. Um, but then there was another the, – the thing to understand though is that they were only managing the state appropriations. They weren't managing the Medicaid money so all the state appropriation, the federal block grant money, was allocated to the area authorities, the LMEs, to manage and and to pay for services. Uh, but they they weren't allocated the Medicaid money. Medicaid was still on a fee for service basis. So while the the area mental health authority had to have contracted providers that could serve Medicaid enrollees, those contracted providers didn't go to the LME to get paid, they would, they would provide a service and then submit a claim to the state. The state was the fiscal agent. DS, DHHS was the fiscal agent and had its contracted vendor. And so all providers of Medicaid behavioral health services, when it came to getting approval to provide a service to a Medicaid-enrolled person and to submit claims and get paid, those providers were interacting with the state around
1: the money. So I think you just highlighted something that's important to underscore, and then we might be at the point to transition towards where we are now in terms of what an MCO is and Medicaid transformation. I feel like that's where we are, but the point that you've just made um, is important to define Of fee-for-service which you did you defined it as you know you go get a service and then it cost X and then they submit their service bill to the state and they get reimbursed for that fee-for-service model Uh, but it's all going through the state government as you just said so I just wanted to highlight that and under underline it that that is a fee-for-service model and that exemplifies what we're getting ready to change in North Carolina going from that model over to a capitated amount in this managed care thought process is that accurate yes
2: yes so so uh, the med- for behavioral health services uh, publicly funded behavioral health services the authorities were managing the state funds, appropriate for the state general fund for those services, for MHDDSA services. They were managing the federal block grant money, which the state uh, appropriated and allocated to their authorities, but not the Medicaid money. The Medicaid money for behavioral health services was done on a fee-for-service basis, and the money didn't run through the area authority or the LME. But with the rising cost of Medicaid programs nationally in the last part of in the last century and up to and including now the general assembly like other states was c- wanting to figure out how could we get, keep costs down when it comes to medicaid paid services so consider this in 1985 so the trend remember i said when i came here medicaid was 6 to 8% of the of uh, uh, an LME's revenue mm-hmm. And now it's what it's 85 or 88 percent. Um, that was what was happening throughout the country, not just North Carolina. And in 1985, Medicaid was uh, one of the, was a very small source of payment for mental health services. By 2014, Medicaid was the largest payer of mental health care, more than any other private or public source of funding. So so Medicaid becomes the way to provide services to people. So, but Medicaid costs were rising. So what did we do? In 2011, the General Assembly decided to move that, move behavioral health Medicaid dollars from the fee-for-service system to a managed care system, and, and so what it, it, it enacted legislation requiring all LMEs to participate in what folks at that time called the 1915 B.C. Medicaid waiver, which just referred to a portion of, of federal law that said if a state wanted to, it could seek a waiver of some Medicaid rules so it could not do the fee-for-service model which is what North Carolina did. And so what it did, instead of the state continuing to pay out, uh, to pay behavioral health services providers uh, of Medicaid paid services on a fee-for-service basis, they, they said, well, let's look at how much we're spending in a year, how many Medicaid dollars on behavioral health services, and let's give it on monthly increments. Let's give it to the LMEs, and let's have them manage it Okay, let's have them try to control cost while also maintaining and controlling quality, and so that's why that's where the term MCO came in, and they they people start referring to them as LME slash MCOs. If you were an LME that had a contract with the state to uh, receive all this Medicaid money, then you are called an LME slash MCO. So they are managed care organizations and, and Medicaid behavioral health dollars have been under a managed care system Uh, since beginning, uh, spurred by the 2001 legislation, and I think all of them had to come online by 2013.
1: So breaking that down is LME is that you are now the the sort of the conduit to the provider and you're managing the quality and care of the provider service out to the beneficiary, but also you're now managing the efficiency of the funds that are coming into you, managing uh the the and trying to save costs you're doing both things at the same time those two things got melded together and that's where we are now
2: yeah so instead of just you know so if in, in the in the past if i if i was a medicaid eligible person i could go to any person to provide me a mental health service they would say oh yeah well you know you need the service that I actually am qualified to provide, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna I'm gonna file a claim to the state, and they'll pay me. Right. Well, no, no, now we're under a system where uh, I can't go to any uh, if I'm a Medicaid enrollee and I'm using Medicaid as my insurance plan. I can't go to any mental health provider out there. I have to go to a mental health provider in uh, the. LME's network of of providers. So that was one of the things that was waived, the the, the concept of freedom of choice. And when it comes to managed care, like what that might mean, that means the LME is not only authorizing the payment of Medicaid money for a service that the provider wants to provide to someone, but they're also engaging in uh, and forgive me, I'll use managed care terms like utilization management and review the lme still has some clinical people on staff not providing clinical services but overseeing the care and they're going to ask my provider well is mark getting well is he less well maybe we need to change the kinds of services we're providing let's let's manage and review those mark ended up in uh in the hospital emergency department pursuant to an involuntary commitment process Let's jump in and make sure when he's discharged that he's discharged to appropriate outpatient care. Uh, and so so the idea is if you manage someone's care well over time, this is a theory, then then you can avoid more expensive services like inpatient care. And so because LMEs under the managed care organization system, the managed Medicaid managed care were also financially at risk, they had the incentive to manage care and manage dollars uh, to keep costs down. And if there were savings, they could reinvest some of those savings into services or programs that Medicaid money can, is normally not used for. And in fact, if you have a, an LME director or you know, we're in the budget cycle now, right? If we have the enemy director of, say, Sandhills going to Lee County and other counties, you know, doing the the annual budget request, one of the things that she might talk about is how are we using reinvestment dollars, money saved through using principles of managed care to provide additional services
1: uh, uh, for indigent care? So in theory, it builds in a level of accountability. Uh, and hopefully better quality care that is preventative in nature and also ties in the public health piece of it, that there is some accountability at the local level with these funds. So that's what I'm, I'm hearing. I think this is a great jumping off point to sort of put a button on the end of this conversation because I think that brings us up to the, the point in time where in, in the history uh, timeline where now it's transitioned over to... Managed care, an LMEMCO managed care system, and what the General Assembly has taken us is taking us towards now, which is standard plans and t- tailored plans, and then the work of this committee. So why don't we pause here? We'll come back and we'll start talking uh, a little bit about transformation. Sounds good.
2: Definitely, all Medicaid dollars for behavioral health services in North Carolina are already managed by a managed care organization. It happens to be a public managed care organization or a public MCO that's called an LME or an area authority. So there those agencies are already managing that portion of Medicaid dollars that is expended on um mental health care mhcdsa care okay uh-huh. um so so what medicaid transformation means is medicaid money for other health services meaning physical health care prescription drugs long term care is going to also go into a managed care type of system, but instead of those services and the money, Medicaid money used to pay for those services being managed by area mental health authorities or LMEs, they're going to be managed by uh, pr- private uh, insurance companies or private or people sometimes say commercial uh, managed care organizations. And, 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 and what they will be doing is managing what's called the standard plan,
1: Mm-hmm. so yeah define
2: it, what standard plan is so so that's you know so standard plan versus tailored plan standard plan means means is standard just means okay, this is how we want to do it uh, uh it's called standard because we have an exception for some people that we're going to call tailored plans, and so the standard plan. Will move Medicaid enrollees who are and people who receive health services through Medicaid funding because they're Medicaid eligible. It will move most Medicaid enrollees from a fee-for-service basis of accessing services to a managed care basis for accessing services. So, and that will mean that these Medicaid enrollees for any health service will have to go to a provider that is in the managed care organization's provider network. Their health care services will be paid for under this managed plan, and the private managed care organization, or MCO, that's managing these Medicaid dollars uh, under this standard plan will have to approve or authorize the service that the uh, consumer of services is seeking, and that the provider wants to provide based on the provider's evaluation of the consumer's need for services. So standard plan means, okay, this is the standard or usual way of doing business. All healthcare services, prescription drugs, long-term care and behavioral healthcare services for many people will be managed by a few uh, private managed care organizations under something that's designed by the state and called a standard plan They also call it whole care because instead of having one managed care organization look at someone's behavior – manage the the, the quality and effectiveness of an individual's mental health services and then a different managed care organization uh, uh, monitor the effectiveness and quality of their health services, the idea is to integrate the care – and have one managed care organization that's responsible for overseeing, approving, and monitoring all healthcare services, including behavioral care services that an individual needs. Now, why don't we just put everyone in a standard plan? Why is there a need for something called a, quote, tailored plan, okay? Well, the tailored plan is like a carve-out or an exception uh, that says for those who are seriously mentally ill or have severe substance use disorders, we already have these entities called Area Mental Health Authorities, which are public managed care organizations, who have developed over the last several years a lot of expertise uh, around managing their care. So let's keep the more seriously and severely disabled under a plan called a tailored plan, tailored to those individuals' needs because they have a high use and, and and high need for services and they're at high risk for expensive services.
1: And so those Literally. L I'm sorry to interrupt you. So those LMEs, to they just um I guess flesh that out a little bit, but the LMEs or the area authorities as you refer to them as, they have been working years to build up a provider network that is specialized to that acute individual that uh, we we described in an earlier recording. So that's a reason why to carve them out into a, a tailored plan, so to speak. Most Medicaid enrollees will be under the standard plan because most people do not have
2: serious mental illness or severe substance use disorders. So the standard plan MCOs will still will, will be managing health care, prescription drugs, long-term care, and behavioral health services. The, the, the LME MCOs... Under the tailored plan, will retain only the most seriously and severely uh, disabled, or the ones with the most serious and severe needs for services. There'll be a few other categories that they retain, uh, like uh, children and with mental health needs in, who are in the child welfare system, for example. Uh, there'll be a few other categories besides just s- serious or severe, um, but but it is clear that they will. Some folks that are currently being served by LMCOs will move to the standard plans, and their care will be managed under a managed care organization that's a private entity. Now, this kind of brings into the you know issue the question: Well, why are regions for these plans important? Uh, um, I mean, so remember we were talking about the consolidation and the, how these LMTOs have grown in size. Uh, well, that's because the money that they receive is on a per capita basis. It's based on, well, how many, how many Medicaid enrollees are there in County X and County Y and County Z? And of course, the more counties you cover, the more money you receive. Now it's still the same per capita, Uh but when it comes to performing managed care organization functions, administrative functions, uh, you can keep administrative costs down if you're managing a larger population uh, in a larger geographic area. And so the financial survival, to some extent, can depend, of an LMCO, an area authority, can depend on the amount, the size of the population they're managing which also determines the amount of Medicaid money they're receiving. And and the size of their population they're managing depends on the size of their geographic area. Now I w- I do want to say that the tailored plans, LME MTOs, for that mild for the serious for those populations who have more significant behavioral health and intellectual and developmental disability needs, they the other change is they will not only keep managing uh, the cost and quality of care for those people, but they will also have to manage the physical health care needs for those people. And right now they're solely in the behavioral healthcare business, not physical healthcare, but they're likely going to contract with or partner with the standard plans in order to do that. Um, and I will tell you also that, that, that in the beginning, only the LME MCOs will operate these tailored plans for the more significant – those folks with the more significant needs. Um, but uh, after four years, those tailored plans will be put out under current legislation, will be put out for bid right. uh, to private entities. So you could have – you know, via uh, the via LMA MCO in the West, bidding with Ethna or United Healthcare on that tailored plan. Uh, four years after Via has been operating that tailored plan, and as we go forward, uh, county commissioners sh- should perhaps think: Well, why would it be important for LMCOs to continue to exist, or why would it be important to have a public MCO? for some of these services versus a private MCO. And just as you know just in terms of foreshadowing future issues, some people would say that the LME MCOs, because they are subject to certain public laws and have certain duties and obligations to work with other local government agencies like the court system, the juvenile justice system, departments of social services, because they have this collaborative function and they perform – their providers perform contracted uh, – uh, contract providers, for example, perform a lot of evaluations um, and health evaluations for the court system. The, 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 the question is, will – if the LMCOs cease to operate tailored plans four years or more from now and, and only private entities do that, what will happen to these intergovernmental collaborative relationships uh, between the trial between LME-MCOs and other governmental agencies, including courts? Um, will those things continue to be performed? And I will tell you that it's under Medicaid managed care, it has become difficult for LME-MCOs to continue to provide those services. Uh, and to perform those collaborative functions uh, because there's so little funding for that. Um, so that's just something to think about, another item for discussion in the future.